0: Good morning everybody, thank you for joining us it's this Veterans Day weekend, if you are a veteran or if your family is in the service or if you're in the service, we just thank you so much for the sacrifices that you and your family have made and you're in our thoughts and prayers this weekend for sure. We pray for this country and and um, thank you for the role that your loved ones or you are playing or have played a part in seeking the Freedom and goodwill of our country. Thank you. Um, this morning, I want to take a look back at the book of Acts and look at some of the themes we've, we've seen threaded throughout the whole book and, and how these themes shape our lives as we follow Jesus. Um, before I dive into that, we've got a, a lot planned after this sermon today um, and then coming Sundays. Dylan is going to preach a couple of sermons out of Zechariah. Uh, we plan to do several baptisms uh, next week. Uh, we're gonna, planning on uh, adding some new church members. And then also, you heard about an all church potluck that we have coming on the 24th so that we can get to know each other and encourage one another. We. We uh, are careful to plan events here at Cedar Home because um, we don't want to do things just for the sake of doing them. And with the potluck, it's it's very intentional. We want, as a church family, to know each other and encourage each other. And we obviously recognize you can't do that necessarily in this format. And so I ask that you would stay and hang for that uh, uh, church potluck so that you can be encouraged and be an encouragement to someone else. And then on December 1st, uh, we plan to start an Advent sermon series uh, called The Cast of Christmas, and it's going to be a four-week series. It will be great to invite non-Christians to, and the series will then culminate at our Christmas Eve service. So it's an exciting season here at Cedar Home. We have a lot going on, and, and I hope that you will join us and be part of it. So let's now direct our focus on the book of Acts. And before we kind of explore the key themes in the book of Acts, I want to begin by talking about the overarching message of the book of Acts. Acts was written, remember, in the first century by a Christian physician named Luke. And Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts kind of as a two-piece work to be read back to back. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke describes the major events surrounding the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he picks up in the book of Acts and he describes How after 40 days, Jesus ascended physically into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell his people and to empower his people, his followers, to complete his great commission for them, to go make disciples of all nations by proclaiming the gospel to them, making disciples of all people groups, baptizing them in God's name, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. So, Acts tells us, in addition to the rest of the storyline of scripture, that God is a missional God. He is advancing his kingdom, he is pursuing lost people, and he is restoring his broken world. And the primary tool he's using to show and tell his good news to the world is us his followers. And in the book of Acts, we see 12 themes that thread together how God uses his people to advance his kingdom and to pursue lost people and to restore his broken world. Three of these themes are about his gospel message. Three of his themes are about God himself and six of the themes are about God's people his church. So let's start by looking at the three themes in acts about God's gospel message. First, eternal salvation is available to all peoples by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So according to God's good pleasure and his sovereign wisdom, he chose before the creation of the world to redeem and restore a part of humanity that would be lost to the power of sin and to eternal death. And the way that God provided this redemption was by sending himself, by sending God's son, Jesus Christ, to become our sin on a Roman cross, then to suffer the punishment For our sins on that cross then to put our sins to death in his own death on that cross and then to rise from the dead three days later in victory conquering Satan and sin and hell and death and God predestined all of this he he carried out all of this because of his grace not because of anything good he foresaw that we would do And the the way that we join this kingdom of God, his redeemed people, the way that we receive this salvation from sin and hell and death, the way that we are reconciled to friendship with God is only through faith in Jesus. Because even our best works fall so short of the holiness of God. And so we can only be saved by trusting in Jesus and what he did for us. And so we, we don't trust then in our own good works to save us. We don't trust in other gods to save us. We don't trust in friends or family members to save us. We trust in Jesus alone to save us. Because only Jesus has completed the work necessary. Only it's, 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 it's God the Father who, who loves us so much that he sent Jesus for us. That he, he looks at the work of Jesus alone as the only work totally pleasing to him, totally sufficient to free us from sin and to bring us back to God. And so the message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ is all over the book of Acts and the entire Bible. And it was jeopardized at times in the first century among the early Christians. We read in in Acts 15 about a group of Judaizers who claimed that faith in Jesus was not enough to save a person's soul. The Judaizers said that a man must also be circumcised just like the Jewish men, and then he must also fulfill the Old Testament ceremonial laws like the Jews do, and after discussing this at length, the Jerusalem Council refuted this teaching and restated Jesus' teaching that whether Jew or Gentile, people can only be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. The second thing about uh, theme about the gospel in Acts is that the resurrection of Jesus is essential. The resurrection of Jesus is essential. The Apostle Peter said in Acts 2, 22 to 24, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed By the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So, the resurrection of Jesus is crucial to the faith because it is what assures us that Jesus is God, it is what assures us that Jesus is alive. It is what assures us that Jesus did actually conquer Satan, sin, hell, and death for his people. It is what assures us that God the Father has vindicated and judged his son to be righteous and not guilty of any sin he was accused of doing and that all who belong to him through faith will be saved. And it is what assures us that he is coming again. So in addition to the perfect life and and substitutionary death of Jesus, we must always include the good news of his resurrection, just like the first Christians did. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus was so crucial to Paul that it was the main reason why people hated him. Paul's faith in Jesus' resurrection is why he was beaten and imprisoned and martyred the resurrection of Jesus is essential to our gospel. The third theme about the gospel in Acts is that it is a message to proclaim with our words. Acts 8.5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Acts 9.20, and immediately Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. Acts 13.5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So proclaiming or speaking the gospel is how the Christians spread the news about Jesus so quickly throughout the Roman Empire. You know, what a joy it is to love our neighbors with the love of Jesus, to do acts of kindness for them but that will not save their souls. They must hear somehow about Jesus Christ so that they can trust in him. When the Lord appeared to Paul in a vision in Acts 18, he commanded Paul, go on speaking and do not be silent. So when you tell others about Jesus Christ, about the life of salvation and and, Uh, new creation in Jesus Christ that you can have, God is not only telling you to give them information about Jesus and about his grace. See, the gospel is a tool. It is through the proclamation of the gospel that the Holy Spirit calls and makes people born again through faith. See how this happened in Acts. Acts 4.4, but many of those who had heard the word believed. Believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Acts 13, 48 to 49. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So the Holy Spirit is using the proclaimed gospel to save people the same way today that he has for thousands of years. If you are a Christian, this is how you were saved. Someone told you the gospel, or you read the gospel message and you believed it. Jesus commands us to proclaim the gospel with our words. So these are three themes about the gospel message in Acts. Eternal salvation is available to all peoples by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Two, the resurrection of Jesus is essential to our gospel. And three, the gospel is a message to proclaim with our words. Now let's look at three themes in the book of Acts about God himself. First, God is awesome and greatly to be feared. God is awesome and greatly to be feared. First Chronicles 16.25 says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. The, the, the visible awesomeness of God is on full display in the book of Acts. Earthquakes, tongues of fire, angel messengers, dreams and visions, miraculous healings, resurrections, tongue speaking, fulfilled prophecies, and a lot more. God is awesome, and in light of his awesomeness, we, his creation, should respond in reverence to our creator. We should revere the Lord. We should fear his awesome power and his holiness. The the book of Acts shows us on several occasions that the Lord is patient, even with those who mock him. But he will not be mocked forever. In Acts 9, the the awesome light of God's glory knocked Paul down to the ground as he traveled on the road to Damascus to find Christians to arrest. And the Lord told Paul to stop persecuting Christians. And the Lord blinded Paul. But he graciously healed him a few days later. In Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira deceived the church, God dropped them both, literally. And they were church members. In Acts 12, when when King Herod Agrippa persecuted the church and then encouraged people to worship him as a god, an angel of the Lord struck him down in public because he did not give God the glory that is due to God alone. So Acts shows us over and over in amazing ways that God is awesome, he is greatly to be feared. The second theme about God in the book of Acts is that nobody is beyond the reach of God's saving hand. Nobody is beyond the reach of God's saving hand. In the the book of Acts, we see over and over again how God saves the unlikeliest of people. The most vivid example, of course, is Paul himself. Before meeting Jesus, Paul was arguably one of the most devout Jews of his generation. He was educated by one of the most preeminent rabbis, Gamaliel, in the first century. He... he, uh, belonged to the strictest party of the Jews, the Pharisees. He opposed Christianity so strongly that he hunted down Christian men and women even to distant towns and arrested them and had them put to death. And it was right in the middle of one of these trips to arrest more Christians that Jesus, like we just said, confronted Paul, rebuked Paul, and Paul realized immediately he'd been wrong all along about Jesus. Jesus really was God. That's why he immediately went into the synagogues and said, He really is God. In addition to Paul, we read detailed conversion stories about many diverse men and women who trusted in Jesus. The Roman soldier named Cornelius and his household, the Ethiopian eunuch, the independent businesswoman named Lydia the jailer in Philippi, the, the witches and sorcerers in Ephesus, and the ruler of the Corinthian synagogue named Crispus. And so in our own minds, and in the way that we do life as a church, and the way that we do life day to day in this community, we must never say that anyone is beyond the reach of God's saving hand. My guess is that as Jesus hung on the cross and they saw the two guilty men on the cross next to him on either side, most people had written off that thief next to Jesus. Most believed that his fate was sure and that he would be eternally condemned. Ironically, however, he is the one who trusted in Jesus and whom Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise later today. It wasn't his accusers, it wasn't the people hanging him on the cross, it was the thief who was saved. So may we be faithful to all the lost people we know. In in our love and in our good deeds toward them, in our prayers for them, in our words to them about Jesus. Just remember Jesus can transform anybody. Aren't you so thankful that God is so patient? So much more patient than me, oh my goodness. Don't give up on the people you know, you're trying to invite to church, you're trying to talk to about Jesus, or you're trying to love. God is long-suffering, and he has been with us, and so we need to be with other people. And remember, nobody is beyond the reach of God's saving hand. And the third theme about God in the book of Acts is that nobody can thwart God's plans. Nobody can thwart or foil God's plans. God makes a number of specific promises in the book of Acts that he will advance his kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. And and God allows a number of human and demonic forces to attack his efforts. However, none of those wicked efforts defeat God or his people. Often God flips those efforts on their head and uses them to advance the kingdom further. When, When the high priest in Jerusalem arrested all the apostles, and put them in prison. The Lord sent an angel to open the prison doors and he let them out and he said, go back out and and preach in the streets of Jerusalem. And they did. And then every subsequent time Paul was imprisoned, the Lord either freed him or God used Paul in the jails to preach the gospel and make disciples there. And when the Jews killed the, the godly Christian named Stephen, And they stirred up this massive persecution in Jerusalem against all the Christians and most of the Christians were forced to flee throughout Judea and Samaria. God used them there to proclaim the gospel even more and Jesus' kingdom spread through their own persecution in ways that it probably never otherwise would have. This was God's plan. When when Satan and his demons had a spiritual stronghold over the witches and the sorcerers in Ephesus, God used Paul to heal their sick and to exercise demons out of them and to preach the gospel of Jesus to them. And many of them became believers and they burned all their expensive books about sorcery. When we encounter the hardest situations of our earthly lives, we can trust that God's good plan for those who love him is not being thwarted. God is in control of your life. He loves you, and he will use the triumphs and the tragedies of our lives to bring out, uh, to, to bring incomparable, eternal joy for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And subsequently, he will be glorified on earth and in heaven for his awesome power and grace. Nobody can thwart his plans. So those are the three themes in the book of Acts about God. First, God is awesome. He's greatly to be feared. Second, Nobody is beyond the reach of God's saving hand. And third, nobody can thwart God's plans. And finally, let's look at six themes in the book of Acts about God's people, the church. First, Christians repent and are baptized in God's name. Christians repent and are baptized in God's name. At the end of Peter's sermon on Pentecost, he said in Acts 2, 36 to 38, So repentance, we're turning away from our old way of thinking about God and turning toward God in faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith um, has always been tightly connected with Jesus' command to be baptized. So tightly connected that some people have wrongly taught that being baptized is actually part of what saves a person. No, God's salvation cannot be purchased by obeying his commands. Baptism in the name of God is a personal declaration. It's a physical expression of one's faith in Jesus. And all throughout the book of Acts, Christians are baptized in a variety of different public and private settings, in in baptismals, in homes, and in rivers. If you believe that Jesus is God and you have put your faith in his life, death, and resurrection to save your soul. If you partake in the ordinance of communion, then you should partake in the ordinance of baptism. We're having a baptism service next week. And so please talk to me after the service if you haven't been baptized yet, or to Dylan or one of our other leaders. In the words of the Ethiopian eunuch who had just trusted in Jesus, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? The second theme about God's people in the book of Acts is that we should celebrate our diversity, our equality, and our unity in God's sight. From its inception, the church on earth has always been a motley crew of people saved by Jesus. In the first century church, the, tr- the church, the gathering, the assembly of God's people was unlike any other gathering in the ancient world. Slaves were suddenly sitting at the same table with aristocrats. Jewish fishermen were eating with Roman centurions. Former witches were now eating with former synagogue rulers. Jews were eating with Gentiles. Nowhere else in society did you see that kind of diversity and equality and unity. And because salvation is by God's grace alone, this is why there is no place for any sort of caste system in the church. There is no place for elitism. There is no place for cliques. There is no place for racism. You cannot justify it at all biblically. There is no place for sexism. There is no place for ageism, valuing certain people because of their age or devaluing them because of their age. There is no place for divisions between rich and between poor, between white collar and blue collar between upper class and lower class. And whichever class you may be in, be careful because you can be prideful being a poor person and you can be prideful being a rich person. You can be prideful being white collar and you can be prideful being blue collar. Just know this, in Jesus Christ, none of that matters. None of it matters. When we gather here on Sundays, when we gather in our community groups uh, at this... In our potluck at the end of the month, may we enjoy and celebrate fellowshipping with people who are different than us. People who who, were it not for Jesus Christ, we probably would never associate with. People whose hobbies are different than us, lives are different than us, histories are different than us. And may we humbly celebrate Jesus because he's done that for us. He's brought us together. When we celebrate, we've been adopted. God made us brothers and sisters. And then may God help us to maintain unity, to maintain love in this church for the glory of his name. The third theme about God's people in the book of Acts is that following Jesus happens in community. Following Jesus happens in the context of community. The, The book of Acts shows us that following Jesus is not a solo sport. It is why God has given us a New Testament filled with commands about how to do life with one another. In Acts 2 and 4 and 5 and 12 and 20 and 28, we see what it looks like for Christians to share a common life together. We devote ourselves to praying for one another and for praying together and to praying for the world around us. We devote ourselves to intentional, frequent fellowship with one another as we turn our eyes onto Jesus together. We devote ourselves to generously giving of our money and of our time and of our energy to serve others. In Jesus' name. We devote ourselves to reading and learning and applying scripture and the gospel of Jesus. We sing praises to the Lord together. We take the Lord's Supper together. We select deacons to lead us in service and mercy ministries. We, as a church, select elders and pastors to lead us and to pastor us. We encourage one another with loving words and good deeds. We forgive one another. We seek to build up and edify one another according to the scriptures. We grieve with one another. We celebrate with one another. We take care of one another. We bear one another's burdens. Yes, we are saved as individuals, but we follow Jesus as a family of individuals united by our faith in and our love for Jesus. The fourth theme about God's people in the book of Acts is that Christians often serve others through hospitality. Christians often serve others through hospitality. Hospitality is a friendly welcome and kind, generous treatment offered to guests or strangers. Throughout Acts, we see that Christians opened their homes, they welcomed one another well, they were generous toward one another. Acts two describes Christians opening their homes for Christian fellowship. In Acts 10, the new Christian Cornelius opens his home to Peter. In Acts 16, Lydia opened her home to Paul and to his companions after her conversion. And then later in Acts 16, the Philippian jailer invited Paul and Silas to his home and he fed them while they were still in chains. Aquila and Priscilla hosted Paul in Corinth. Philip hosted Paul in Caesarea. Nason of Cyprus hosted Paul and his companions, etc., etc. Being hospitable does not mean having lots of nice things for your home so that you can wow your guests. Christian hospitality is about your heart. It's about wanting to show others the love of Jesus by sharing with them what you have. It's about inviting them into your personal space and caring for them. Christian hospitality is not just limited to opening our own homes. It, it also means that whenever we gather, Uh, we welcome one another well. We love and encourage one another. We do our best to see that our guests feel welcome here, whether that's on Sunday morning or a youth group or in our community groups or at mops or Bible studies. It means hopefully that when somebody walks into a room, they don't see a bunch of circles of people with their backs closed to new people. But instead open arms and love and welcome and saying, hey, so glad you're here, how can we serve you? And I want to get to know you. The fifth theme about God's people in the book of Acts is that we must be courageous in our faith. We must be bold is the word we see in the ESV in our faith. Following Jesus is hard, and Jesus never promised it would be easy. He said that his gospel would divide families, and friends, and marriages. He said that we will be mocked if we follow him, we will be misrepresented, we will be persecuted, we will be arrested and even killed for our faith in him. So following Jesus is much more than being a good person or doing nice things for other people. If that were all Christianity was, then the world would love Christians. Jesus does not allow us to have a private faith. He commands us to preach the gospel to all creation. He commands us to live lives worthy of the gospel and in accordance with his commands. And so when we do that, when we declare the gospel to the world, when we live lives in accordance with his commands and not the commands of the world, we will be persecuted. But at the same time, it's only by declaring the gospel and seeking to love God and others through our actions that non-believers will be saved and that God will be glorified by our obedience to him. The book of Acts records many instances of courageous faith. Uh, It shows us many instances of the church praying for boldness in declaring the gospel and in multiplying disciples acts 4:13 now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus what was the indicator their boldness acts 4:31 and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 19:8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. At the end of the, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, what does he asking them to do? Pray for me that I would be bold in speaking the gospel. Just like the Christians did, may we also ask God to give us boldness to speak the gospel to others. In our community groups, may we pray for one another as we talk about friendships and future conversations we're gonna have with non-believers. We did that in our group this week. Somebody said, I'm, I'm meeting with somebody on Monday and we're gonna talk about Jesus, would you pray for me? May we pray for boldness to speak the gospel to others because we must be courageous in our faith. And the sixth theme about God's people in the book of Acts is that we must persevere in the faith. We must persevere in the faith. Last week we saw that to the very end of his life, Paul persevered in his faith in Jesus. He he proclaimed Jesus until his dying death, uh, dying breath. Jesus said that, the one who endures to the end will be saved now it's not our endurance in the faith that saves us it rather our endurance in the faith is evidence that we're saved you hear that you're not saved by your stoic endurance and long suffering you're saved by grace through faith and the evidence that God's gonna work that out in your life is that you will persevere in the faith by his grace. (laughs) Because Christians throughout the Roman Empire faced so much danger and persecution in the first century, Paul traveled around. Why did he go back and visit these churches that he had started? These towns where he was almost killed, where he was stoned outside the city limits, why did he go back to these churches? to encourage them to be strong and to persevere in the faith. That's why. Acts 14, 21 to 22 says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 15, 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Acts 18, 23, after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia strengthening all the disciples. We will all face trials and doubts and tragedies in this life. We must help one another We must encourage one another, we must strengthen one another to persevere in the faith. We must lift each other up. We must believe together that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has saved us, that Jesus is coming again. So those are the six themes in the book of Acts about God's people, the church. Christians repent and are baptized in God's name We should celebrate our diversity, equality, and unity in God's sight. Following Jesus happens in community. Christians often serve others through hospitality. We must be courageous in our faith and we must persevere in the faith. So I have no doubt there are many other important themes in Acts, but these 12 are the ones the Lord wanted me to share with you today. And having looked at these themes together, I hope It will encourage you. I hope it will strengthen you. I hope it will embolden you to follow the Lord joyfully and to proclaim his name courageously and to live on mission together for his glory. And also, I hope that having gone through the book of Acts, it will help us better understand the biblical rationale behind our church purpose statement. That Cedar Home Baptist Church exists to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered worship and community and service and multiplication. Amen. All right, love you guys. So glad you're here. Would you please stand up with me and I'll close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we could be together today. I think of a conversation I had this morning with somebody who's in India and how persecuted the Christians are there right now. We lift them up and pray for those people and for our brothers and sisters around the world who are enduring persecution at a level we've never known. We pray that you would grow the church, uh, give believers fullness of joy and courage in you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your word. Please take these words that we've read in your word today. Put them into our hearts and our minds and help us to meditate on them, think about them, chew on them this week and what it means for us as disciples. We thank you so much, God, that uh, the gospel is so clear in the book of Acts that we're not saved because of our courage. We're not saved because of our perfect histories or our abilities to meet your standards. We're saved because of you, Jesus, who fulfilled the law for us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying to take away our sins, for rising in victory over death and Satan and hell for us, and for uniting us to yourself as we trust in you for salvation. Thank you for, thank you for breaking into the kingdom of darkness with your kingdom of light and calling us into it. We pray, Lord, that we would be joyful, courage, courageous soldiers of love, God, in this world. And we pray for those who don't know you yet, that as we tell them about the awesomeness, the loving and graciousness of you, God, that you would open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ they would trust in you and that you would transform lives, their lives, here on earth, God. Be sanctifying us, be freeing us from our addictions, be helping us to kill our sins and help us to live lives in obedience to you. And may we do that joyfully because you're such an awesome God and it is a joy to know you and serve you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.